0: So I'm curious, as we begin this morning's message, just want to ask you a little self-check question. How skeptical are you? Just as a human. <laughs> like, how skeptical are you of the world around you? Uh, have you been utterly tainted by social media? Uh, is it impossible to convince you of anything? Maybe, <laughs> or perhaps you're the opposite person, and, and Bless your heart. Maybe you're the person who sends that chain mail around with like, send this to post to 10 people or seven kittens will die by tomorrow. Like, <laughs> are you that person? I wish you were a little more skeptical if you are. <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever sent me a message like that, I, I will not be responding to it. That's, I'll just say it that way. I, I am actually, per, I am a reasonably trusting person. I think it's difficult to walk through the world not trusting anyone or anything. But I will admit to you, I was thinking about this concept that I think the pandemic did taint me a little bit because there was so much crazy stuff going on in the news and the headlines and social media for those couple of years. So much happening at once. So many yelling, competing voices at us. And I think I am less likely to believe anything that I read anymore. I look at a headline and I'm like, show me your three credible sources. You know, like I must, I must know, uh, even for the smallest thing. Uh, But I, I mean, the truth of the matter is, this is the world we live in, for sure, but this has always been true. As long as there have been humans, there have been scammers. That's just facts. Like, from the beginning, there have been scammers. Uh, the day I wrote the draft of this message, it was a couple of weeks ago, I read, I was like eating breakfast and looking through my uh, Apple News feed, and I read from one of the papers that there were three people arrested in Scarborough for fraudulently, fraudulently selling someone else's house while they were out of the country. <laughs> I was like, I'm Sorry, I'm misunderstanding what i No, seriously, they forged Ontario driver's licenses, so with their photos, but with the address of the house that they they knew the owners were away. I think the owners were, like, like out of the country for a month or something, so a good amount of time. And they only got caught... Like, they, they only got caught... Like, they, the whole legal transaction had gone through. The money had been... Uh, Send, it was like somewhere in the ballpark of $800,000, had been sent to the bank. And the reason they got flagged was because the bank said, This is a brand new account. I'd like to see another piece of ID. And so they called the lawyer, and the lawyer was like, mm, And then they put a stop to the funds, and then the whole thing. But like it, it came this close, like you come home from vacation and your house has been sold. <laughs> what is the world we're living in right now? And supposedly, according to the lawyer, the, the, the fake IDs were perfect. Like they looked amazing. I'm like, can you trust anything anymore? Like the, the scams are so sophisticated. Um, have you seen any deep fake before? Have you heard about chat GPT? Yeah. That's how I wrote this morning's message actually. <laughs> <laughs> Write a message about the gospel of Luke, about being uh, that, that Jesus is true and this is what you're going to get. No, but that, I literally could almost do that with today's technology. So we can get duped because of how much information is disseminated so quickly, for sure. That's true of our time. And although it's different, our technology is different today, I, got, I have some good-slash-bad news for you. It was different in the first century when the Gospels were written, but human nature was the same. Word definitely spread much more slowly than it does now, for sure, Probably more like a game of telephone, where somebody would tell somebody, would tell somebody, would tell somebody, by the time it reached the person it was, it was getting to, who could tell if the details were still accurate? I guess it's not that much different than today, it just it happens much more quickly. There's no live tweeting of stuff that was going on in the first century. No uh, live video feeds, and so you'd have to find somebody who was there an eyewitness to something that you wanted to know if it was true or not, and then you could tell if it was trustworthy, hopefully, if you trusted that person, that was sort of how it went. Like I said, different technology, not that much different in human nature. And so in, in the first century, in this, the, this the same sort of thing, wondering if things can be trusted, enter Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was a Gentile, a well-educated in the Greek culture, a physician by profession, and a companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts chapter 16, if you read through the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, You can read in chapter 16, verse 10, all of a sudden, the narrative changes from, you know, these guys did this, and then they went here, and then this happened, and whatever, and then whatever. And then in chapter 16, he says, and then we went. So we understand that he was telling the story, and then he also became part of the story. So this was who Luke was. Luke obviously heard about Jesus at some point. We don't know when. That's not part of the story. Probably from one of Paul's missionary journeys. And he heard about Jesus from Paul, or whoever had shared the gospel with him, and he believed in Jesus. He became a Christian, and then, like I said, he ends up serving with Paul, traveling and helping and ministering with him. And by all accounts, every time he's mentioned in the scriptures, he is talked about as though he's well-loved and well-respected. And certainly, I, I would only assume that Luke's faith was genuine his curiosity about the origin of his faith was clearly very strong. Luke wasn't a Jew, so uh, there, there was lots about that that he, he would want to know. And a lot of his Christian friends weren't Jews either. But he he knew that the Jewish faith was incredibly important to the origins of Christianity and his own faith in Jesus and understanding that. He knew that the, a lot had happened when Jesus walked on the earth during his ministry and he knew that a researched telling of the story would help a lot of people to believe and experience Christ the way that he had, who maybe didn't have access to the same eyewitness accounts that he did. And so I don't, I don't know, uh, I, the, some of this is hearsay, I, I'm just using my imagination, but I wonder if uh, Luke's questions about Jesus were sufficiently answered by Paul or other, others who were sharing the gospel with him. Um, maybe other apostles who he would have met in the early church who had walked with Jesus himself. Enough that Luke decided this was real and he came to faith. But it seems that the more Luke knew and and, and heard and believed in Jesus, the more he wanted to know about Jesus. The more he read, the more he heard the accounts of others, the more people he told, the more he wanted others to to know and he knew there was more people he needed to tell. And somewhere along the line there was a particular man, Theophilus, who wanted to know if Jesus could really be trusted. Were these Christians the real deal? Can all of this be believed? Who is this Jesus really? And so, in your Bible, you have two volumes written by Dr. Luke, Luke and Acts, which are separated in your Bible by uh, the Gospel of John, for reasons that are you can look up. That'll be your little Google search for the day. Why is John between Luke and Acts, even though they're two volumes of, by the same author? But from this investigation for Theophilus is where we get this, this two-volume account from Dr. Luke, Luke and Acts. And in case you're wondering, you're looking for Bible trivia today, if you said... Who wrote, like, who wrote the most words in the New Testament? You might be tempted to say Paul because so many of the letters were written by him. So there's a lot of books that were uh, attributed to Paul. But actually Luke wrote the most words just between those two books. Two very big volumes of research that he did. So let's take a look at the introduction to both Luke and Acts. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Of course you can load up the Version Bible app. Under more and then events, and you can follow along. These are loaded for you there already. Also be on the screen for you. Luke chapter 1. Let's read the first four verses, and you'll see in the NIV it's already called. I'm just looking to see if you're ready. It's called Introduction. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Luke says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then flip over to the beginning of the book of Acts. Like I said, the gospel of John is between these two books in the scriptures. But Acts chapter 1 the first three verses, this is how uh, Luke starts his uh, Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, his, this volume, it says this, in my former book, Theophilus, which would be the Gospel of Luke, I love, the love that you're with me, uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So you can see right here in how Luke is describing this that that Theophilus, uh, he wanted him to understand, have an orderly account of all that had happened, first with uh, Jesus and then with the apostles after Jesus ascended to heaven. The original reader of of this gospel account um, is Theophilus, which means uh, one who loves God. So some some speculate that it's not a real person, but it's a group of people, anyone who loved God, but most scholars agree that it it was just an actual person's name. Probably he was a wealthy patron of Luke's because he's called most excellent, which would be a a nice uh, respectful title. And it's very, very uh, likely that he was bankrolling Luke's writings and the distribution of this work after Luke had finished writing it so that others could could hear it. Um, so Theophilus and others who Luke knew wouldn't just be for him, uh, but that's, of course, who it was intended for originally. Luke knew that, um, that others would read it. And it seems by the way he describes things in his gospel that he's not writing to a group of people who were in Israel because he, he does a lot of work to describe... Different scenes, different places in the narrative, as though somebody who hadn't, who wouldn't automatically know uh, where where he was talking about. They probably were unfamiliar with Jerusalem, etc. And Luke's purpose in his gospel account seems to be to show Gentile Christians, of of which he was one, to show them that their place in God's kingdom was based on the teaching of Jesus. And in case you don't know, a Gentile is simply anyone who's not Jewish. So probably most of us in this room. He wanted them to know that that Jesus' teaching was not just for the Jews. He wanted them to know that that their ability to believe in Christ and to receive the same salvation that had come to the Jews was legitimate. It wasn't speculative. It wasn't wishful thinking. And specifically, of course, he says he wants to instruct Theophilus and to strengthen the faith of anyone who is going to read this account of Jesus. And so we are calling this series The Gospel, The Good News, which is what gospel means, and and looking through every uh, gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and picking up the big narratives, so that we understand that we have these four incredible banners about who our Jesus is and why that matters. And if I had to put a, a headline on Luke's gospel, I would probably say, extra, extra, Jesus is true. Okay, so here's some here's some nerdy things, and then we'll get into the application of it. Okay, so this is for the nerds, and then, which uh, like me, and, and stuff. So when you read the Gospel of Luke, if you read it front to back, here are some things that you would notice, or you will next time you read it through. Well, you won't notice this, because I don't know if any of you read ancient Greek, so you might not know this, but I will tell you what scholars tell us is that Luke has an outstanding command of the Greek language. It's extensive and he has a very rich vocabulary. So um, there is obviously a lot of, he's he's very educated. That's, That's the clue we pick up here. When, when you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice some things like the, the way he outlines the way of salvation. He starts with the birth narrative. When we At Christmas time, it's almost, it's almost always Luke's account of, of the birth narrative that we walk through. And he takes us all the way from the birth narrative of Jesus all the way to his ascension at the end of the Gospel. There's literary excellence, there's historical detail, there's a warm and sensitive understanding of, uh, of Jesus and, and those around Jesus. And where Luke can be checked historically against what we know uh, was happening at the time, um, it's accurate on every single point. He often names different times and rulers and, and who was in charge of this and that, and every, in every place it can be checked that we know of, um, It's accurate. And one commentator said it like this. It has been said that um, a minister sees men and women at their best. A lawyer sees them at their worst. But a doctor sees them as they are. So Luke saw men and women as they are and loved them all. There is sort of a sense of that when you read through this gospel account. Some things that are really distinctive in Luke... There's a recognition of Gentiles as well as Jews in God's plan. You can really sense that in this gospel. There's an emphasis on prayer. You, You read this quite a lot, especially before important occasions, Luke is recording prayer. There is joy in the announcement of good news. This happens a lot. The, The emphasis on praising God is all through this gospel. There's a special concern for the role of women here. There's a special interest in the poor and on issues of social justice. There's a concern for sinners. Here in Luke's gospel, you get an emphasis on that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's an emphasis on the family. So much of Luke's gospel is uh, actually centered in homes and around meals and around conversations. Men, women, children frequently set in the home. There's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And in fact, many scholars would link Luke and Acts and say there is a whole theology of the Holy Spirit that he is setting out because he had seen all the incredible things that the outpouring of the Spirit had done. And so he links that theologically through both of his volumes. It's amazing. And uh, in Luke's gospel, there's also the inclusion of more parables than in any other gospel. And so while that's interesting to know, that might be helpful the next time that you are reading the gospel of Luke, what stands out to me uh, uh, is something a little bit different, though those things are all very helpful. What I was thinking about Luke's gospel, and, and what I always think about this gospel, is that, um, it's, is that Luke took a step of faith to believe in Jesus when he learned about him. He hadn't met him. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. So he heard about Jesus. He, he received the message of Jesus. And he became a Christ follower without ever having met Jesus face to face. But then Luke started to do something else. He started to dig deep into the story, into this Jesus that he had believed in. And he, he made steps to ensure that his faith was his own. And even more than that, he, he used um, his personal study of who Jesus was and what he taught to lead others to the same truth. And that's why it seems to me that the headline, uh, one of the headlines, I mean, you you could break this gospel up in different ways, but one of the headlines that's really strong here in this gospel is that Jesus is true because he's discovering it for himself, and he's wanting to make sure that everybody knows the same good news as he does. It's like he's saying, I've looked into it. I've asked the people themselves, and this gospel can be trusted. It really is true. And this challenges me. Because when I look at my life and the story of my faith in Christ, how much have I, with full gratitude, inherited from my Christian upbringing? And how much have I internalized and am ready to share with others because of the life transformation that I've experienced myself? I wanna challenge myself when I hear Luke doing that as well. Like that's literally the reason He's writing this account. Luke was not satisfied with anyone else's story of Christ. And and we're not sure of the timing of this gospel, but certainly some of these accounts were already floating around in the early church. It's probably true, as Pastor Aaron mentioned last week, that Mark's gospel was written first. And so there was already some accounts floating around out there. And they would have been good and, and helpful and all of those things. But for Luke, he really wanted to know for himself. He had to have his own story. About Jesus. He wanted a real relationship with Jesus and not, not a, a secondhand one. Because there is really no such thing as a second-hand relationship, is there? <laughs> it's not really a thing. I can call that person my friend because I know their friend. That's not a thing that we can do. It was a personal discovery, and I love that about this gospel. Luke had to rediscover Jesus Christ for himself. Even though he had met him spiritually. He then wanted to know everything he could know about him. So we certainly consider this gospel to be the inspired word of God. It has passed rigorous testing to be in our canon of scripture today. But Luke's gospel um, does, like we just read, do something interesting by affirming that he put it together um, by the most careful historical research. And this matters, friends, this matters, because it's a yes and, it's a yes and that I I want you to pick up on this morning. Because studying in our spiritual lives is not anti-spiritual, it doesn't quench the supernatural if we learn and dig in and grow. Study in our faith is intended to be part of the process. It's not faithless to dig in and to study and to ask questions and to, to root things out, it's faithful to your faith in Christ. And I want you to understand that in case you didn't know that or in case you've heard something different. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. In John 4, 24, he's talking to the Samaritan woman, and he says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There's a call for us to not just uh, believe, though that's the beginning stages, but then to say, I want to worship God in truth. I want to know him. I want it to be so deep inside of me. And that's part of the, the walking out and working out of your faith. As one commentator said, God's inspiration does not come to those who sit with folded hands and lazy minds and only wait, but to those who think and seek and search. True inspiration comes when the searching mind joins with the revealing spirit of God. I will tell you that this is true. Period. <laughs> that's the end of my that's the end of my quote. <laughs> this is like this is the great privilege of my life as your pastor that I get to do this and I'll tell you what it's like to study for messages. Studying for messages does not draw me academically and spiritually away from Jesus. The more I learn about the word of God, you can tell probably, and I don't apologize, I get more excited about who Jesus is and what he's done. The deeper I understand what he, what, who he is and what he's done and the scriptures and all the things. Like these things are intended to be going hand in hand. That's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. I don't want one or the other. I want both. And I cannot tell you how often I have put together a sermon series, uh, you know, we, which we do uh, pretty far ahead of time, and I go to study for a particular message, and I think it's going to be a, a certain thing, And then I write it and it's a very different thing because as I studied the scripture, I realized I was wrong. so Or I was just kind of off course or I needed my my theology corrected. The Holy Spirit said to me, that that was a good idea. Let me tell you what the church needs actually to hear about or whatever. And so that's what the spirit and truth to me looks like together. It's an incredible process. Your personal experience, I, I hope I don't have to tell you this. Your personal experience with Christ super-duper matters, but it is not the standard of absolute truth in the world. I hope that you don't think that. I love that you're experiencing the Spirit, but the absolute standard of truth in the world is the Scriptures. And these things line up with the Scriptures. And so the the point here is that unless you've tested this out in your own life and truly lived out your personal faith in Christ, you can't really know the good news that we're talking about as gospel truth. If it's just an experience to you, uh, maybe like a feeling to you, or like your faith is like something that seems like a good idea or that you inherited from someone else, it's never going to be able to stand any kind of test. But I promise you that as you work out your faith and as you worship in truth as well as spirit, that these things just, oh, we were praying about this yesterday. What did, what did Ben say? You're standing on the solid rock. Like there's just like this sense or like somebody else was talking about it. We had a leadership day yesterday. And I was talking about it like taking your roots and going deeper. Like you can't be moved, you know? Can't be moved from the truth. It's good. Someone else's experience of trust in Jesus is not going to work for you. You know this, right? Yeah, okay. Just double-checking. So the first question that the gospel of Luke presents to me is, are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Are you seeking and finding the revelation of Jesus for yourself? No one can do that for you. The first step in a relationship with Christ, sometimes people do, do a lot of research and they do a lot of study before they, they put their faith in Christ. That's cool. Some people take a step of faith first and then they, they walk it out later. And that's cool too. There's different ways to come to Christ. We know that we all have different stories. But you do need to have both. The gospel writers, uh, the, the, the second part of that, so that's the first challenge, of course, but the second part um, is is simply that your understanding of the gospel, your deepening of your faith, your, your um, understanding of the good news, your own study, your own worship in spirit and truth cannot stay there. Because it's not having an effect on you unless you realize that the gospel matters for more than just you. The gospel writers were actually known as, um, all four of them, known as the evangelists. So if you're reading a commentary in, about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or they're referring to the gospels, the commentators will use um, the word evangelist as an interchangeable noun for Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So they'll call them, uh, they'll say, and I think because they get tired of using their, their first name all the time, so they'll say things like, the evangelist points out, like, you know, you're reading a commentary in the book of Mark or whatever. The evangelist then points out that, or brings attention to. Uh, and the, the word evangelist matters because uh, it means a person who proclaims good news. That's why they're called gospels. They're written by evangelists, people who are proclaiming good news. And they all do this, all four gospels do this beautifully. But Luke, in his account, is so explicit about it that he put it into his intro about what he intended for this work. And you can't miss the point here, which is why we're bringing it up in this particular gospel. He wrote for Theophilus, like we know. He had to proclaim the good news to Theophilus and to anyone who might get their hands on his account of Jesus and his ministry, not to mention, of course, the Acts of the Apostles and that whole volume after Jesus' ascension. He wanted people to know the things that he knew. He was bursting with good news. He had done the research. He had talked to the eyewitnesses. He had gone. I don't know how far he had to travel or how he put it together or how he decided what to include. I'm sure there was way, it's like every sermon, right, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Ethan? There's way more notes than you can ever fit in the time you have, but he deciding what that was going to be like, and he was bursting with the good news. He had believed in Jesus. He had been transformed by Christ. It's obvious in his life and ministry And he had also searched and found evidence all around him for the legitimacy of his experience with Christ. And from that point, it it had to be shared. It had to go out from him somewhere else. And I am challenged to have a faith like Luke's. Experienced supernaturally, which it has to be. It's 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 a transformative act of the Spirit. But then continually growing and learning bursting then to share the good news with others. And i I'm challenged myself, and I'm going to challenge you with the question, is that what my life and faith look like? People ask me a lot, actually, because I speak publicly, and most of you would rather die than stand here, yes? That's the big joke, right? Like the number one fear in the world is public speaking, and the number two is death should be spiders. I agree. I actually, I think I would, yeah, I'm less afraid of death. I mean, I'm going to be with Jesus either way. I would rather that than deal with spiders. Yes. Um, I actually legitimately feel that way. But anyway, so the joke, of course, is that you would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, right? That's how it goes. So people ask me a lot, like, how do you not get nervous? It's so hard. And I say, I get nervous every time. You guys are terrifying to me. (laughs) You're not. You're You're like, oh You're not really, no. But... I get nervous every time, but here's the thing that changed in my life. Many years ago, I I felt like, I can't live in a ball of nerves every time I have to get up in front of people because I know that's what God has called me to. And so I just changed my mindset and I will tell anyone this. You have to just get so excited about the thing that you are talking about that it's stronger than how nervous you feel about saying it or you're worried about saying something dumb. I just say something dumb almost every time, so I don't care anymore, it just happens. Like I say 5,000 words, one of them's gonna be stupid at least, right? So you just have to be so much more excited about, the, about what, about what you've been studying and what the Lord has been revealing to you and what you have the opportunity to share with others than you are nervous about what might happen if you make a mistake. And that's how, I, that's how I've done this for years. I felt the same way when I was a worship leader. It was the same, same thing. I, I came to this conclusion a long time ago and it has helped me. And I, I kind of feel like that's the call here in the Gospel of Luke, to be so full of excitement about how this gospel is changing your life. And as you study it, and as your roots go deeper, and as you stand more solidly on the rock, it's like there's just nothing else you can do except that let that overflow in every part of your life. So is that what my life and faith look like? I was thinking about how to wrap this up this morning. And I... It got got a little little heavy in my study time, (laughs) I won't won't lie to you, because I started thinking about a couple of scriptures that make me nervous. Matthew 19, 24 is where Jesus talks about the fact that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for me to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because I am a rich person. In the society we live in, we all are rich in. So many, like, like, like we have so many safety nets and we're so comfortable. And I, I, I'm worried about being the rich man. Now, thankfully, Jesus then also says, but nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Right. We need that. We need that. But I'm worried about like my comfort in this life making me apathetic to, it just, just, it's, it's just too easy to say nothing. I want to up, you know, upset the apple cart because everything's comfortable for me. I'm also worried about being the subject of Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation three. I worry about being lukewarm and uh, being rejected by God because that's the language. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth for having cultural Christianity. Like something that I inherited instead of something that is out of the overflow of my relationship with Christ. I get nervous about that, that I'll I'll miss an actual encounter with the living God because it's just more comfortable to do it the way I've always just done it or seen it or, you know. So I was feeling really challenged about those things. So that's the way I'm challenging myself today, and I want to invite all of you to that as well and ask... How am I growing in my faith? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that this is an easy question to answer. I get to write sermons (laughs) for my job, but that's not how, I mean, I do grow in my faith, but that's not, that's, if if my whole spiritual life is revolved around what I'm going to bring here on Sunday morning, I'm already in trouble. How am I growing in my faith? What is God challenging me with? What's next for me? Is my life being transformed day by day, or am I just really used to doing church? I know these are hard questions, but I gotta ask them of myself. And is it obvious that life transformation is happening in me by how it spills out in my in my conversations and my lifestyle? Is it just is it obvious to people that I'm just choosing a different way of life as I follow Christ? So the good news here in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is true. He's looked into it. He's searched it out for himself, and his faith is solid because he, he's done the work. He's been transformed spiritually, and he's growing and ready to share. So I guess the question for us, and I actually wonder if you might be willing to share this morning. Um, I, where, the, the, yep. and the <laughs> Aaron and I have known each other for um, 8,000 years. So when I said hum, 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 she went, yep, and she t- just took care of something. F- she took care of something for me there. Um, the way- <laughs> I love you. Uh, if Jesus is true, what am I willing to do to know Him and to live in Him? What am I willing to do in my life to worship Him in spirit and in truth? And for me, uh, maybe I've been watching too much of the West Wing, and I, I am watching through the West Wing again, but, you know, President Bartlett, I'm always asking the question then, what's next? What's next? If you've not watched this series, okay, we'll talk about it later. What's next? We literally have a whole page on our website dedicated to this, literally freedomcater.com slash next, to say, like, there are things, you know, there, there are so many different ways to say, Lord, what is next for me? What are you calling me to Next. I believe that God is calling, and the reason I'm going to, uh, I didn't even plant anybody to start this conversation. I said I might. I might. Sometimes we do that. Uh, because sometimes you just need somebody to get the ball rolling, you know. But I know because I've had conversations with many of you, and I also believe that the Lord was just speaking this into my heart this morning, that God is calling some of you to some new things in your spiritual lives. I don't know whether it's spiritual disciplines or it's studies or it's specific conversations that you're know you know, you're, you're asking for courage to have with others about your faith or whatever it is. And I wonder if you would be willing this morning to share with the church and with off-campus, you too, with Pastor Ethan who can share on your behalf here this morning. You're online with him this morning, yes? Okay. Um, I, I wonder if you'd be willing to share what God is calling you to, because I believe that hearing how the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church will encourage the church to be encouraged to do the thing that the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. And so, um, Pastor Aaron has a mic. We need a mic. I know that's scary, but don't be scared. Be more excited to share than you are nervous to speak into a microphone. Uh, And I'm going to share with you a couple of stories as you think about that. What is God calling you to do? Because I really do believe the Lord is calling some of you to something new. And I think it will encourage the church if you say, here's what's next for me in my spiritual life. You don't have to have accomplished it. You just have to hear what God is calling you to. I had a, I've had a, a couple of conversations, actually, um, with, well, one in, in an email. I got an email from one of our young adults recently who said, I just really want to go deeper in my spiritual life. What's next? I'm like, Let's go. <laughs> we'll have that conversation all day long, and so um, even that simple request, there's something deeper for me. Can you help me find out what's next? Asking somebody else to help you find out what's next, and so we already this morning we were chatting about it, and we're working on uh, okay, let's figure out where you're at and what would be like a great next step for you to go deeper in your faith. That's what the church is for. That's what we're here. We're an equipping place for that, right? I had another conversation recently, uh, and either of you young adults, you're both here. If you want to say it for yourself, but I didn't ask your permission, so I won't say your name. Uh, I had another conversation with a young adult who said to me, This one's going to make me a little bit weepy, but you know that happens occasionally because I love it. She said to me, Listen, so I've been reading my Bible, and it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. And the more I read my Bible, the more I want to read my Bible. I was like, I know, right? <laughs> and so there's a call on her heart to be in the word and just to like, especially as a beautiful time in life, to be like, this faith is going to become my own. This is, this, I, I love what I've learned in the church, but this has to be my own and I'm going to get into the word for myself. Like, I love that. I'm excited for that. And I'm praying Lord, protect that heart. Protect from distractions that would pull away from that. What is God calling you to?